0: You're listening to episode number 21 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Hey, I'm Leanne from healthfulpursuit.com and this is the Keto Diet Podcast, where we're busting through the restrictive mentality of a traditional ketogenic diet to uncover the life you crave. What's keto? Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. If you're in need of keto recipe food prep inspiration, I've prepped a free seven-day keto meal plan exclusive for podcast listeners. The plan is complete with a shopping list and everything you need to chow down on keto for seven whole days. Download your free copy at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash keto meal. Let's get this party started. Hey guys, I hope you're having a wonderful weekend and if you celebrated Valentine's Day, I hope you had a great time with your significant other. Kevin and I have never really celebrated Valentine's Day. We have celebrated our love anniversary every year. That was the day that Kevin told me that he loved me and it's always been like a special day. So I guess you could say that that is our Valentine's Day and that's on November 11th, which is also my community manager, Katie's birthday. So I never forget her birthday every year. It's so great. (laughs) And then we just celebrate our um, wedding anniversary. But if you were the lucky few that celebrated Valentine's Day and you had a great time, I hope you had a great time and we have an awesome podcast for this week. I must say that every time just because I love it so much and I love chatting with all these cool people about keto things, but I have an awesome thing to share with you this week and that is Zen Sweet Mixes. So Zen Sweet are the makers of monk fruit sweetener, which is the only all-natural, zero-calorie, zero-glycemic sweetener on the market that measures and tastes like sugar. So you can use it one cup, with a Zen sweet equals exactly one cup of sugar. So it makes the conversion really easy for people that aren't like me and don't have like an internal calculator of how to calculate out recipes in my head. I don't know, it makes me weird, but it's a really cool party trick. <laughs> and they actually sent me a couple of their mixes. And it was a chocolate chip cookie one and a brownie one. And what I loved about the mixes is is that, first off, they're sweetened with monk fruit, and they have no sugar in them. And they're also gluten-free, grain-free, non-GMO, and they're paleo and diabetic-friendly, and they were so good. They're a base of almond flour with a couple extra ingredients, the chocolate chip cookies. I only got half of one because Kevin ate all of them. He's known in our family as the cookie monster because he just, like, Guys, he loves cookies. Like, you cannot keep cookies around the house. He will just eat all of the cookies. You won't even know that you had cookies in the house because they'll be gone. So, I set aside two cookies for my sister and I put them in the back of the fridge. And when I got up the next morning, they were gone. And he didn't even know that I put them back there. So, that is the cookie monster. It's for real. He ate the cookies. He loved the cookies. And the brownies were pretty good too. So, If you want to learn more about Zen Suite, you can go to zensuite.com and they actually have a Kickstarter campaign for their new mixes. And I think they're really cool. And it's a really interesting way of going about mixes for the low carb community. So I really appreciated it. So I wanted to share it with you guys. So what we're covering off in this episode is all about keto and pregnancy. And so many of you have been asking for this episode I'm so happy to be sharing my thoughts and having a really awesome guest on the show. We're going to be talking about how to accept the changes to your diet when you're pregnant, whether keto is safe when you're expecting, whether carbs are required for pregnancy, and some keto breastfeeding tips. So the show notes and full transcript for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E21. The transcript will be added to the post about three to five days following the initial air date of this episode so definitely check back in a couple days if you're looking for the transcript and let's hear from one of our awesome partners The podcast is partnered with Wolf Clinic Royal Flora, my choice in soil-based probiotics. Soil-based probiotics are a fabulously effective approach to repopulating the gut. The soil-based organisms are cultured in de plant matter, free from pesticides, chemicals, and toxins. Unlike conventional probiotics, which have a shortened shelf life, are vulnerable to stomach acid, weakened by processing methods, and less likely to reconstitute or colonize the GI tract to the level we need it. Soil. Soil-based probiotics are alive and thriving, meaning they colonize along the entire GI tract, rapidly forming into the bacteria your body needs most as soon as it interacts with saliva. Soil-based probiotics from Wolf Clinic called Royal Flora is my choice in soil-based probiotic and my gut has never felt less bloated. I'm not reacting to foods in the way that I used to, for example, spaghetti squash. I can eat it. No problem. It's great. US and Canadian listeners receive 20% off when you order from healthfulpursuit.com forward slash gut. Use the coupon code gut all in caps, no spaces for the 20% discount to be applied to your order. We have a couple of announcements for today's show. The first one is that if you don't already know, I'm going on a book tour. It's going to be epic. We're adding dates constantly to the schedule. Right now, I am going to be visiting New York, Atlanta, Houston, Austin, Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle, Vancouver, BC, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto. And like I said, more dates are being added. So if you are interested in visiting with me at any of those places, I definitely recommend that you RSVP by going to ketodietbook.com forward slash tour I'll include a link in the show notes for today's episode and if you're close to those cities would love to see you I know that a couple of people are flying in and I think that that's just like crazy amazing the events are going to be about two hours and we're just gonna straight chill um, <laughs> and we'll take some selfies I'll sign your book we'll chat about keto I'll probably do a little talk as well so just really amazing that I'm gonna be getting to meet some of you and I'm really excited for it. So if I didn't just say your city, definitely still check at ketodietbook.com forward slash tour, because like I said, we're adding dates all the time. And by the time this episode airs, there may be more locations. So definitely check back. We're trying to make sure that I visit as many places as we can. So, I'm very excited for that. And there's a new partner that is joining the podcast, Manitoba Harvest. If you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know how much I love Manitoba Harvest. They're kind of like in this exclusive group of companies and products that I really, really love. And they agreed to come on the podcast for a couple of times this year. So, we're going to be sharing new products with you guys and some exclusive things. So, I'm pretty excited about it. So, listen for it next week. And in episode 18, couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Keto OS was a pyramid scheme. And I've since learned that that is wrong. And I actually didn't know the difference between a pyramid scheme and multi-level marketing. I didn't know this. So one of our listeners actually emailed me and explained that it was different. And from what I understand, I then Googled it and read a bunch of stuff on Wikipedia because I love learning. And I also love admitting when I'm wrong. And I'm totally always open to different ideas and different ways of looking at things. So from what I understand. A pyramid scheme requires the customer to actually sort of like buy in to the company before they can actually get the product. So they need to become like a member. Whereas people that are in a multi-level marketing, which happens to be Keto OS, and I know that I was part of Stampin' Up!, which is also multi-level marketing with my crafting. And basically customers can buy product from a person that represents the company whereas with a pyramid scheme in order for a customer to buy a product they have to become like a member and a a seller themselves so that's the difference I'm sorry that I confused the two thank you so much for continuing to be open and educating me I always love learning like I said so I really appreciate it if you have an idea for a podcast episode or you want to submit praise over and above the review, which you can leave by going to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash review, you can reach me at info at ketodietpodcast.com. And a lot of the questions that I went through with today's guest We're compiled via our private Facebook group. So this Facebook group is accessible to anyone who purchases any of my keto products, which are available at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash shop. So today's guest is Lily Nichols, and she's a real food-focused registered dietitian, diabetes educator, and researcher with expertise in prenatal nutrition and gestational diabetes. Her book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, and online course of the same name, is the first to advocate for a nutrient-dense, lower-carb diet for managing gestational diabetes. Her book and course have helped thousands of women have healthy babies, and most without the need for blood sugar-lowering medication. Her blog, Pilates Nutritionist, explores a variety of topics related to real food nutrition, mindful eating, digestive health, pregnancy, and of course, gestational diabetes. So my community manager, Katie, and I were at Paleo FX... Last year, I don't even remember when that happened, like May-ish? Yeah, it must have been May. And we saw that Lily was going to be talking about a low-carb diet for pregnancy, and we were all over that talk. I was so excited to hear what she had to say, and I was nodding my head the whole time. I was so excited to have her on the show, and it just took this long for us to figure out a time to sit down and chat. As she mentions in the call, she had just had a baby last year, So really busy time for her and she's super knowledgeable. I'm so happy we got to chat all things pregnancy and I made a pregnancy video on keto, which I'll link to in the show notes and my, you know, take on pregnancy with keto and we align on so many pieces. So it was really cool to have her on the show and talk about breastfeeding, which is something that I know very little about. So it was really cool. So without further ado, let's cut over to the interview. Hey, Lily, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you, Leanne? I'm doing really well. I'm so happy to have you on the show. We have lots of questions and lots of details to go through. But before we get started, for listeners that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: So I, by trade, am a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. I think most people either know me from my blog, Pilates Nutritionist, or from my book, um, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. And uh, a lot of my work these days has been around prenatal nutrition and specifically um, gestational diabetes or the diabetes that is either first recognized or develops during pregnancy. And after a lot of work in the field and seeing, you know, how the conventional gestational diabetes works or maybe doesn't work in practice, I realized that, you know, a lot of women, you know, they get the diagnosis of gestational diabetes. They try to follow the conventional diet advice and sometimes their blood sugar goes up or a lot of times it just doesn't get better. And that led me to kind of question, What's up with our prenatal nutrition mm-hmm. guidelines, especially around pregnancy uh, diabetes? And I had to wonder for every woman that I'd see who would try this diet and her blood sugar not get better, you know the the way that doctors describe it is that they failed diet therapy. And I was always left wondering, you know, did they fail diet therapy or did diet therapy fail them? You know, mm-hmm. and so a lot of my work has been around, like revamping our gestational diabetes guidelines. And I developed my real food approach for managing gestational diabetes, which was the first to advocate for a lower carbohydrate diet and a nutrient dense real food diet during pregnancy that has really, really good results. We have much fewer women requiring insulin and medication to manage their blood sugars. It's managed naturally with food and really good outcomes for babies. So a lot less of the negative side effects when they're born like hypoglycemia and needing to go to the neonatal intensive care unit and stuff like that. So that's like the, the gist of my work. And I know today you wanted to talk a little more about low carb and pregnancy and ketosis and all of the controversy that surrounds that. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah. And there's a lot of it. So,
0: (laughs) um, so kind of maybe starting even before one is pregnant. I know that a lot of women in our, in our community have amenorrhea or issues with fertility. When you were looking at your gestational diabetes piece and kind of looking at the nutrition for that, did you also look a little bit into fertility and know, you know, a lot of women will say that their doctors have said that they're postmenopausal in their 20s. (laughs) Yeah. And and they'll go on a ketogenic diet in order to boost fertility or a low carb diet in order to boost fertility. Have you seen that in your own practice?
1: Yes, I have. And a lot of times, what's interesting with with menstrual cycles and, and fertility just in general is like, your body wants to reproduce when like your fertility is highest when your body is healthiest so when something's not going well a lot of times you know the body just refuses to ovulate <laughs> you know mm. and you and sometimes you don't have a menstrual cycle to go along with it and for women who are overweight or struggle in some sense with like some degree of insulin resistance i see a lot of benefits from reducing carbohydrate intake. It doesn't have necessarily have to be super, super low carb, but reducing their carb intake, especially getting refined carbohydrates and sugars out of the diet, a lot of times insulin resistance improves. They lose a little bit of weight and lo and behold, they get pregnant. And in fact, there's a lot of women that I would see in prenatal practice who maybe weren't even trying to get pregnant, or they thought they could never get pregnant. And then they'd like come in, you know, and they're like, gosh, I just lost like 20 or 30 pounds in this in this past year doing low carb. And like, Oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant. I'm like, I'm not ready to be pregnant. You know, it's just (laughs) your, it's like your fertility goes up as your body gets healthy, and your physiology starts regulating.
0: And I guess on the opposite side to that, I know in my case, I was actually underweight and I needed to gain quite a lot of weight to get my period back and to get over amenorrhea and eating low carb, high fat initially helped me lose a bunch of weight and help right. my hormones back, but I still didn't menstruate until I gained weight. So it was kind of like an opposite way of doing things, but I'm, you know, losing weight and then gaining some back in order to get my period. But, you know, in my case, it was like the fat that actually helped boost my cholesterol so that I could make hormones and then gaining right back so it's kind of the opposite of that experience that that, that woman had and that's sure. a,
1: you bring up a good point because there's actually something called functional hypothalamic amenorrhea which is probably what you had mm-hmm. which can be related maybe to weight loss or stress or or exercise related lack of having your period and it's just you you a lot of times there's there's a, a insufficient estrogen in your body as opposed to the opposite case where maybe your estrogen levels are too high. So, yeah, you're right. It can go on either side of the spectrum for sure.
0: And if a woman is having difficulty conceiving, like some of the individuals that you've spoken with, I'm sure, how long like would you recommend that they go on more of a low carb eating style and how long would they do a certain protocol? Well, I think it depends on the woman. Yeah. So, I would I would want to be
1: looking at like where her weight's at, where her body fat is, what her activity levels are like, what her stress levels are like, are there other like underlying potentially digestive or adrenal or thyroid issues? I would want to get all those things figured out because there can be a, a variety of potential causes of fertility issues so i'd kind of be looking at the big picture before automatically going low carb so i might for example like if i had somebody who was very underweight and not having their cycle i probably wouldn't have them go really low carb i'd probably have them go a little more moderate carb but still get plenty of healthy fats in their diet Whereas somebody who maybe is starting out very overweight, I'd be more inclined to go low carb because oftentimes it's accompanied by insulin resistance and high blood sugar, which we need to get in line. because naturally the body doesn't want you to get pregnant usually when your blood sugar is elevated. it's an it's a known, cause of birth defects, especially in, in the first trimester, like the first eight weeks of pregnancy is when all the organs are being formed. So the body is pretty obsessive about trying to maintain normal blood sugar. So if your blood sugar is already high, then you're probably not going to be able to maintain a pregnancy early on. So again, I'd, I'd kind of be looking at what is, what is going on with the individual woman before giving like a blanket uh, recommendation.
0: Yeah. And I had no idea about the blood sugar regularities and holding pregnancy. That is really cool. <laughs> it's, I didn't know Well, that. it's
1: actually, yeah, it's actually like, it's a big, big deal. Like yeah. super high blood sugar is like a known teratogen, something that causes birth defects and can be just as harmful as taking, you know, the wrong medications in early pregnancy. It can lead to very severe birth defects, which is why a lot of times the miscarriage rate, especially early miscarriage rate is very high in people who have unknown or uncontrolled diabetes or yeah just out of control blood sugars.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. And so I guess, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I see that every time it's like, let's get to the bottom of things. Like if you're having issues with fertility, like you said, if it's more of an underweight over exercise type of problem, you're super stressed out, you're probably going to want moderate carbohydrate and still a bunch of fats. So for those listening who are familiar with my program, daily fat burner is kind of what she's talking about, where it's a good combination of moderate carbohydrates and a good amount of fat and then you're saying for people with you know maybe imbalanced blood sugar and maybe body weight that's not really set where they you know quote unquote should be for their body perhaps more of a low carbohydrate thing which would in my program translate to around like a full keto fat field profile for those listening and are curious how that aligns so let's get into the like the meat of the conversation and something i know like very little about (laughs) it's like pregnancy And um you know that you spoke at the beginning about gestational diabetes and the protocol that you've come up with from that I'm assuming that that protocol spans further than just gestational diabetes is that fair meaning that it can
1: benefit women who don't have exactly. diabetes in pregnancy yes absolutely
0: and what does that look like like which trimester is it best to switch over? How do you know? Is it safe to switch over to this sort of eating style where you're eating less carbohydrates when you're pregnant?
1: Ooh, I like these questions. I like these questions specifically because when I wrote my book on gestational diabetes, you know, most women are diagnosed in the second half of their pregnancy, not at the beginning, Mm -hmm. although that's changing, thankfully, because we should be screening women earlier, but that's a whole nother conversation. So my book is from the the standpoint that like you've already been diagnosed with high blood sugar and this is kind of what you need to do, right? But in early pregnancy, like if somebody has been following low carb and then they get pregnant and then they're wondering, can I continue to eat low carb during my pregnancy? It's a very good question <laughs> because mm-hmm. we have less information, less clear information on like First trimester, what's ideal and what's not, than we do for later pregnancy. But if I can leave you with anything, a lot of women, um, myself included, um, I just had a baby last year, so I I can relate to the challenges of early pregnancy. The first trimester is very challenging. There's like a ton of hormonal shifts. You oftentimes have food aversions or nausea or vomiting or you know what people classically call morning sickness which I don't even know why it's called morning sickness because it happens all day for a (laughs) lot of people it's not just like a thing like oh you wake up in the morning and you're sick for a little while and then you're all good like a lot of times it can happen like last all day or come at different times of day but a lot of times you don't feel as good eating low carb and I I myself was very curious to see how my body would respond when I was pregnant and how I'd feel because I thrive on a moderately low carb diet and have for a long time. So I was curious, I was just very curious, went into it kind of open minded, like, okay, I know there can be benefits to low carb in later pregnancy, but what is it like early on? And I found that my body actually wanted a little more carbohydrates when I was feeling kind of the morning sickness or the nausea or whatever coming on. You kind of want things that digest quickly and leave your stomach quickly. So if you do have to throw up, like you aren't throwing up a whole meal, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And for a lot of people that ends up being eating a little more starchy foods. So I don't think everybody needs to go or stay low carb in the first trimester. I think it's really important to still attempt to get some protein and fat in your world. But I found that I didn't feel good staying really strict. I think there's some women who still do from a metabolic standpoint. Is it ideal to remain low carb? Not necessarily, because in early pregnancy, your um, insulin levels are going, are increasing. So your pancreas actually gets larger during pregnancy. And by the 10th week of pregnancy, your body is producing three to three and a half times more insulin than it is outside of pregnancy. And it's doing this to kind of gear up for later pregnancy where insulin resistance goes up like crazy. So women are like 50 to 70% more insulin resistant in the second half of pregnancy. So in the early part, you have like a lot more insulin on board, no more insulin resistance that you came into pregnancy with. So you can kind of decide depending on how insulin resistant you were before, how well you did in low carb, where your blood sugar levels are at, whether or not you wanna stay low carb for that time period. But there's less of a need for it, I guess is what I wanna say in early pregnancy. Whereas in later pregnancy, your insulin resistance is so high that a lot of times that's when we start seeing the blood sugar go up a little more. And sometimes women have less wiggle room for carbohydrates like the further along they go in pregnancy oddly enough oftentimes your food aversions aren't as bad at that point point. and I, personally I found that I felt better eating low carb towards the end of my pregnancy where early on like I felt good having like a little bit of potatoes and stuff like that yeah. so that was just an interesting observation for me personally but also you know the metabolic information I think is
0: is new for a lot of women I had no idea that our insulin bumped up that much in the first Yeah, it's huge. Wow. Well, I mean that even in itself kind of tells you like, hey, maybe carbs are a good, good thing to have during this time. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I, you know, I, that second half, not so much.
1: Exactly. I mean, I, I hear so many women beating themselves up trying to eat low carb, but they feel terrible. And it's like, listen, of of any like metabolic thing that we don't know a lot about, like pregnancy tops the list. There are things that are changing on a weekly, like day to day sometimes there's huge shifts going on. And we we don't have the completely perfectly mapped out in the literature when certain changes are happening and why and what nutrients we need. You know, we have pieces of the puzzle and I'm kind of like obsessed with digging up those pieces and kind of making sense of all of it. But there's a certain mystery to it all. And so I think at the end of the day we have to do a lot more mindful eating in pregnancy than prescriptive eating. Mm-hmm. And since there's differences from woman to woman, I at the end of the day I kind of have to fall back on like how do you feel? (laughs) What's going on this week? You know, um, what can you do with your food to keep yourself feeling well? I mean, because you can go overboard on the carbs early in pregnancy, too. I've heard women just kind of like, give up, eat whatever. And then by, you know, halfway through the pregnancy, they've already exceeded their weight gain goals for the whole pregnancy, and they feel terrible and their blood pressure is high and all this stuff is going on. So it's like, we kind of have to find a middle ground between like, you know, eating well, and also keeping yourself, you know, keeping yourself in good shape and listening to your body.
0: Yeah. And to go back to the, you know, feeling terrible, I can understand, and I'm sure that there are a lot of women listening that are maybe thinking about being pregnant. And they're like, what if I just crave carbs every day? And I love being ketogenic. And I love being low carb. How does one deal with that feeling? Like you said, of just, you know, kind of letting it go listening to your body knowing that you know in a lot of cases it's like it's not like keto is gone forever it's not like low carb is gone forever but if if what's standing between you and another day of morning sickness is like just having a sweet potato with dinner why wouldn't you just do that (laughs) you know to avoid that feeling do you have any tips or strategies or thoughts on how one would go about being okay with Ooh. putting that behind them. Yeah. And a lot of times I think
1: it's more than just like, oh, having a sweet potato with dinner. It's like, I can't eat dinner. And if I eat this low carb thing, I'm going to be sick. And the only thing I can't eat is some of these roasted sweet potatoes. And it's like, by all means, eat some roasted sweet potatoes, my friends. You know, like, yeah. don't, don't like starve yourself for the sake of, you know, being compliant with low carb or whatever. I feel like pregnancy is such a chance to surrender it's a good preparation for motherhood (laughs) Mm -hmm. as a mom of a child less than a year old there are so many so many what's the word I want to use you make so many amends being a mom like you you have to get less serious about yourself (laughs) because there's going to be so much that's out of your control that all you can do is like do the best that you can at the time. So there were days when I felt pretty, and I honestly, I didn't have morning sickness or nausea as bad as some people I know, but there were days when it was like, okay, I really like, I'm feeling so ill and tired. And like your body is just like rapidly producing all of these cells for this growing being. And your hormone levels are like all crazy. There's so many things going on that it's like, you just need to do what you can to get through the day. So What I did was I attempted to eat as whole foods as possible. So I chose not to keep, you know, junk food in the house minus salt and vinegar chips. I will Mm -hmm. say salt and vinegar chips were kind of like my saving grace some days because early on, like, I don't know, there's something about like starchy, salty and sour that really helped with my nausea. That was just me. I don't know. Everybody has their thing. So I kept good quality, good ingredients, salt and vinegar chips in the house. Mm. But I tried not to let like candy beyond dark chocolate Um, and a bunch of other junk in there. So I wouldn't be tempted to eat those foods. So I tried to eat whole foods, meaning like the carbs that I was having were coming mainly from things like sweet potatoes or fruit or yogurt. Dairy products for some reason tasted really good to me in the early part. So I think there's a lot of potential reasons for that they they tend to be a pretty good source of iodine for people who don't eat a lot of seafood which is really important for your thyroid which is going through major changes early on and also important for fetal brain development so that may be a reason why so many women crave dairy products but mm-hmm. as long as you're getting you know good quality carbohydrates in your world then you're also getting all the other micronutrients that come with it so that was kind of one way that I made peace with it, but I was also open to the possibility that later in the pregnancy, I might feel better eating less carbs again. And sure enough, I I did. I just naturally felt like, oh, wow, I want to eat more vegetables again. Oh, like meat and fish and eggs like taste good to me again. And I could tolerate more than like a couple bites here and there. So just be open to things shifting. Whatever you're doing right now just to get through the day, it might not be that way tomorrow or next week or next month.
0: That's really good advice. (laughs) Really good advice. And the fact that it shadows like your experience pregnant, pregnant and going through all that really shadows your experience with being a mom and kind of setting you up for all the um, changes to come. So that's really neat. Yeah, Uh, I will say one thing, though, it's
1: super, super helpful to have a taste for healthy food going into pregnancy. Mm -hmm. 'Cause sometimes early on you're kind of relying on your nutrient stores. Like some days you're not eating the best and you know, in the back of my mind I'm thinking like, Oh, I need I need to be eating my eggs for the choline and I need to be having salmon mm. for the omega threes and it's just not happening. I'm like, Well, this is why I was eating so well for all these months or years prior to getting pregnant, because we do have nutrient stores on board and sometimes you have to kind of have faith in that and have faith in the system working and have faith in, you know, the fact that so many women have had healthy babies, despite having morning sickness, (laughs) Mm. or even worse, like hyperemesis gravidarum, where you're like, very, very, very ill. It's like, okay, I know this has worked in the past, I have to trust the system, I have to trust that I have nutrient stores on board that are going to supply this, this baby for the time being, and I will eventually get back to eating well.
0: I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think that what I've seen in my practice is a lot of people will be like, well, I'm planning to be pregnant. So I'll just like eat whatever and then I'll have the baby and then I'll care about what I'm eating. Um, oh my and gosh. I find, do you see that as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, you're probably not going to magically switch to being a vegetable lover while you're pregnant, nor is there any chance you're going to want to or be able to continue that postpartum when you have zero time to yourself and zero time to cook it's like the time to eat healthy is now get it in your bones learn to make vegetables taste good learn to cook learn to enjoy healthy foods and then you'll figure out how to make it work during and after pregnancy but I think it would be exponentially harder to go into pregnancy not being a healthy eater and then try to convince yourself to eat vegetables like It's hard to eat. It's hard to eat enough vegetables at certain points in pregnancy. I think for me, at least once the nausea and the food aversions and stuff kind of like
0: let let
1: up a little bit, I was able to go back to eating pretty healthy. But that early part was like,
0: no chance. (laughs) Yeah, totally. More on my interview with Lily Nichols after this message from one of our podcast partners. The podcast is partnered with Vital Proteins, my favorite collagen brand of all time. I use their collagen peptides in my daily Fuel latte to add body-loving protein to my cup without changing the taste or making the mixture chalky, like regular protein powders can do. And their gelatin, I add a couple of scoops to warm dishes like spaghetti sauce, gravy, soups, or stews, and nobody can even tell the difference. And when I'm out on the go, I always have a couple of their stick packs hidden away in my purse so that I can add Them to my coffees or teas when I'm out and about. Vital proteins, collagen peptides, are sourced from grass fed, pasture raised bovine hides to ensure a natural, high quality, and sustainable source of this ancient nutrient. Collagen is the most abundant protein in the body, ensuring the health and vitality of our skin, hair, tendon, cartilage, bones, and joints. Vital Proteins and I are working on a brand new offer for all of you, but in the meantime, the coupon code VPHP10, that's VPHP10, is up and running and there to give you 10% off plus free shipping. Now the free shipping is just US-based, but everyone can benefit from the 10% off on all of your favorite Vital Protein products over at vitalproteins.com. So once people kind of get over that hump of just like, you know, it sounds like it's kind of, you know, whatever food you can surround yourself with in your house is definitely better, but really being open to the fact that your diet may change during that first half of your pregnancy. Once you kind of get over that hump, I know there's been a lot of questions of, you know, like how low carb can you go in a pregnancy? Is it safe? Is it not safe? Like, do I need carbohydrates to make my baby grow? How would you answer that question? Yes. Okay, so yeah,
1: complicated question. So what you'll hear from a lot of people is that you need you need carbohydrates for a healthy baby, you need a minimum, this is the conventional recommendations, of 175 grams of carbs if, in the later half of pregnancy. But what I found in my research was really interesting. Nobody could tell me what, where that 175 gram number came from. And I finally dug it up from the Institute of Medicine report on macronutrients, which is like a 1300 plus page document. So it took a lot of digging, but they assume that there's an estimated average requirement for non-pregnant women of about hundred grams of carbohydrates. And then they add additional carbohydrates to account for the increased calorie needs of pregnancy, which is estimated to be 300 calories. They assume you need 45% of your calories coming from carbohydrates, so that gives you an additional 35 grams. And then we know there's some um, carbohydrates, or there's rather, there's some glucose that's required for the fetal brain every day, which is approximately 33 grams, some estimates are less. So you add this all together, and that, that gives you, with a little bit of a buffer, about 175 grams per day. But what's very interesting, and as you know, being somebody who's done a lot of research on low carb, this estimated average requirement of 100 grams of carbohydrates per day is kind of kind of bunk. Because, yeah, not right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in the same document, they say the lower limit of dietary carbohydrate compatible with life is apparently zero, provided that adequate amounts of protein and fat are consumed. Mm-hmm. So our bodies are like really metabolically efficient if there's not a lot of carbohydrates coming in, we can actually make glucose for our body from fat and protein if you're getting enough calories. So the same thing is true in pregnancy. And um, in pregnancy, your body actually tends to favor a state of ketosis, especially in the second half of pregnancy it becomes just very efficient and always supplying the baby with some form of nutrition and given that the baby's brain development actually relies on a certain amount of ketones about 30% of fetal brain energy it comes directly from ketones your body kind of relies on a mix of both glucose and ketones when it comes to how low you can go in carbohydrates i think a better way to look at that is How can we, I think you can go as low in carbohydrates as you are still able to get enough micronutrients, enough Mm. essential fatty acids, enough amino acids, which is separate from carbohydrates, enough vitamins and minerals, which may be coming from your carbohydrate foods, right? Enough antioxidants, potentially. So I think as long as you're planning a diet that contains enough of those, for pregnancy, then you can kind of, you know, cater your carbohydrate level to that. I think the lower carb you go, sometimes your sources of other nutrients might be a little more limited unless you're, you know, just eating like a lot of non-starchy vegetables, which still are going to give you carbohydrates, by the way.
0: (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Eat as low carb as you can, without it affecting your intake of like essential nutrients. And that's always been my approach. Well, after I totally failed on keto the first time and I lost a ton of weight, but I felt like absolute garbage. I was like, wait a minute, I'm counting my spinach and that's not cool. So I love love that approach. And so to step back a little bit, you were talking about how the developing brain of your child needs a bit of glucose in order to function and continue to grow. Now, are you saying... Do you know or have you seen research that that baby can be provided with the glucose it needs from the mom through gluconeogenesis, like the creation of glucose, like you were saying, through the protein or the fat? Have you seen that that's enough to supply to the baby?
1: Yeah, that's actually a good question, because that's one thing that is left kind of unclear in that Institute of Medicine thing is that there's this need for for glucose, but it doesn't say whether it's exogenous or endogenous, right? Mm. What's interesting with pregnancy is women become about 30% more efficient at creating glucose from alternate fuels, in other oh. words gluconeogenesis, in the later stages of pregnancy. Combined with your body naturally goes into ketosis very easily in later pregnancy, even if you're eating, you know, more moderate, even if you have a more moderate carbohydrate intake like they've looked at women after a 12 to 18 hour fast pregnant non-diabetic women and compared their ketone levels to non-pregnant women and their ketone levels are about threefold higher you just like very easily slip into ketosis in pregnancy it's just a fact of life (laughs) it's not bad it's like it's like the human body you know, humans have lived over thousands of years in periods of starvation and famine, which may not be ideal. But if every time you weren't able to eat for, you know, if you had to go 12 to 18 hours or maybe a day or day and a half without having significant amount of food, if that caused you to miscarry, I mean, the human race wouldn't be, we wouldn't be as populated on this planet as we are. Let's put it that way. So our body has like, very specific metabolic mechanisms in there to to like fail safes, you know, in there to make sure that baby still gets nutrients. So your body is just very efficient at shunting nutrients from your body to the baby. Like you sweat there's a reason you like get a little pudgy in the first part of pregnancy. Everyone's like, oh my God, I already have like, I already feel fat and bloated, <laughs> yeah. whatever, right? It's like your body is specifically... Putting on some fat in early pregnancy because it is expecting in late pregnancy to break it down and send that fuel to the baby, which it does. So a lot of times you you almost feel like, in a way, like leaner. At the yeah, end. You're, I notice that. You're bigger, but like you're leaner. leaner. It's yeah. hard to explain. Where early on you just feel like puffy, puffy. and pudgy, <laughs> and yeah, that's like that's by design. That is nature doing its thing the way it is supposed to. So. I guess to answer your question is we don't know for sure if the glucose is required to be from outside sources or from inside the body. I think by default, you know, what's the number I gave you, 33 grams? Yeah. I don't think you could eat less than 33 grams of carbohydrates in a day and still supply your body with enough micronutrients for the baby. Like if you yeah. truly track your food in like MyFitnessPal or whatever, like you're going to be getting a couple grams of carbs from those nuts and you're going to be getting a couple grams of carbs from that spinach and a couple grams of carbs from that cabbage. Like it adds up. And and so, you know, if we're talking like bread carbohydrates, certainly you can survive <laughs> without 33 grams of bread carbohydrates. Yeah. Like <laughs> When we're looking at your diet in total, I think like, yeah, you're probably going to need to eat at least that or more just to get enough of your
0: micronutrients for you and the baby. That's so cool. And so I want to rewind just a touch when you were talking about fasting and pregnant women with that study. More on my interview with Lily Nichols after this message from one of our podcast partners. The show is partnered up with Paleo Valley, the makers of the only 100% grass fed and finished fermented beef stick. Each stick contains 1 billion probiotic CFUs. We all know how important fermented foods are to the health of our gut and the strength of our immune system, especially during cold and flu season, as well as boosting our energy throughout the winter months. Chowing down on Paleo Valley's fermented beef sticks provides your body with all of the beneficial bacteria it loves in one convenient little beef stick their gut friendly sticks are gluten-free soy-free dairy-free GMO free freaky chemical additive dye and preservative free as well as being 100% free from carbs and sugar and made with the highest quality ingredients exclusive to listeners of the show receive instant savings of 20% off paleo valley fermented beef stick snacks by going to paleovalley.com forward slash keto and if your jaw is just tired thinking about beef jerky it's worth noting that these tasty treats are not tough at all but moist with a little snap the summer sausage flavor even tastes like those hickory summer sausages but without the gunk seriously delicious Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash keto for an instant 20% off savings. Now, there are a lot of people in the ketogenic community that fast and intermittent fast. What are your thoughts on fasting when you're pregnant?
1: I don't think it's a good idea. You will probably find, for anyone who's listening who is thinking about pregnancy or is pregnant, you'll probably find that you are hungry and like consistently hungry while you're pregnant. (laughs) So, you know, a 12 hour fast might be the amount of time you go from like going to bed and waking up in the morning. But like, you're hungry in pregnancy. And a lot of times, especially in late pregnancy, when you have this baby that's like, pushing up on your stomach and like maybe kicking your stomach or whatever, you can't eat large amounts of food at once. So a lot of times pregnant women kind of end up grazing throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So you're probably grazing in early pregnancy if if you're feeling nauseous and then you're probably going to continue to graze in later pregnancy when there's just no room in your stomach. There's like no room for a giant meal. So I would not encourage intermittent fasting because a lot of your nutrient needs are higher in pregnancy, and yet sometimes you have less room in your belly mm. for the bulky foods that are going to give you those nutrients. So, yeah. so, no, I don't think there's any need to to fast. And I think if you listen to your body, most women are probably going to feel well not fasting. If you happen to be one of those women who feels best eating a lower-carb diet, you may find that you can go longer between meals without feeling ravenously hungry, and maybe you're not a snacker, and that's totally fine. But I think for the majority of women, you're going to end up wanting to eat relatively frequently.
0: Yeah, and I I love how that's tied it together because the reason I asked that question is because I know that there are women out there, and I was one of them. If I were pregnant two years ago, I would have totally asked this question, like, "What about fasting?" Because I want, like, I just heard the ketones are really good for the baby. So if I fast, I'm going to create even more ketones, and that's even better. Um, Mm, So I wanted to ask you that question because you were saying like the body can switch over to ketosis quite easily in pregnancy. So don't sweat the ketones. Like, just eat when you're hungry is what I'm hearing from you um, and you will create them just naturally like don't sweat it
1: (laughs) yes you your body will naturally I don't think we need to be focused on trying to produce more ketones in pregnancy like your body will naturally do it and your body will naturally excrete them and your body will naturally unless you are somebody with type 1 or type 2 diabetes who is entirely dependent on insulin to keep your blood sugar under control, they'll naturally stay at a safe level. And in those people who are type 1 or type 2 diabetic, like take the amount of insulin you need to keep your blood sugar mm-hmm. under control so you don't go into a, a dangerous state of diabetic ketoacidosis by the way have mm-hmm. to say that. Yep, totally. <laughs> as, a, as a certified diabetes <laughs> educator, but for anyone who, you know, you know, is not doesn't even have to think about insulin and even in women who have gestational diabetes, you know, your ketone levels are probably going to be just fine as long as you're eating enough food in general.
0: Cool. Let's switch over to breastfeeding. I don't even know what to ask you because like breastfeeding is like, I don't even understand. <laughs> I breastfeeding think, is a crazy, crazy thing. I tell you. Right? Yeah. So how does nutrition, like I know some of my girlfriends have had issues with breastfeeding and then I tell them to eat a ton more fat, like load on the fat. And all of a yeah. sudden they're just like, like tons of milk, just like, it's, yeah. it's crazy. So, what have you seen and what have you experienced with breastfeeding and how your nutrients play in line with all of that?
1: Well, what's interesting about breastfeeding, so you think pregnancy is crazy or like Mm -hmm. growing a whole new human being. Breastfeeding is even crazier because like with pregnancy, you don't really need to think about it. You don't need to consciously do anything and baby's growing, but then you have a baby and then it's like, oh crap, I gotta like I'm the one who decides when to put the baby to the breast and how long they're at the breast and when to switch them from one boob to the other and like, oh my gosh, when my, when is my milk gonna come in and yeah. oh, this feels funny or this hurts? Uh, it's just so complicated. But the crazy thing about pregnancy is there is still debate about how much extra energy we need during pregnancy, how many extra calories you need. Breastfeeding, it's pretty cut and dry. You need extra energy. Most people agree about 500 calories additional per day, you need a lot of extra energy to produce breast milk, it's just crazy. And your your body is not dumb, you will probably be ravenously hungry for food postpartum. So the nice thing is for women who have eaten pretty well in their pregnancy, particularly the ones who like follow my real food approach, a lot of times they haven't gained a bunch of additional weight. So they're not as worried about like, I need to lose the baby weight Mm -hmm. right away, right? A lot of times they'll lose it with relative ease, and they probably will have not exceeded their weight gain recommendations. Postpartum, early postpartum, I think women should focus entirely on listening to their hunger cues, remembering to eat, because it's hard to remember to eat when you're caring for a newborn, eating plenty of fat, if your body is craving it, eat more carbohydrates too that is also totally fine you're probably just going to be going to need to eat a lot more food in general because <laughs> breastfeeding is draining and you also need to replenish all the you know you just ran a marathon giving birth mm-hmm. so you need to replenish after that gigantic race so i think for a lot of women they need to kind of ease up on being worried about you know what macronutrient goals they need to hit and what calorie goals they need to hit postpartum and just like take it easy, try to take care of yourself, put the baby at the breast often, nurse, 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 Yeah. drink a ton of water, and worry about the carb thing later on. Because I think what happens when some women who immediately go to low carb is, you know, going low carb naturally helps reduce your hunger levels, or maybe they're just trying to stick to their Macros, so Mm. specifically that they're denying themselves food. But if you don't have enough energy in general from any source, from all sources coming in, meaning fat, protein, and carbohydrates, your milk supply is going to suffer. And, you know, the first six, eight weeks or so, your milk supply is hormonally regulated. But after that, it becomes much more of a supply and demand um, situation. So if you don't get your milk supply, And keep the baby at the breast often in those early weeks, and you're just focused on losing weight, losing weight, losing weight, you might, you might dry up early, which is really unfortunate if, if your goals are to breastfeed for, for longer than a couple months. So I think early on women should just like let go of the obsession with losing the weight and getting your body back. Your body is different and that is okay. And things are going to be shifting for gosh, the next year. It's still crazy how my body is changing and just focus on caring for and feeding your baby,
0: however however you're choosing to do that. Breastfeeding can also help you lose weight, right? Like it, it creates, I can't remember what the contractions are called, but there's some sort of contraction that happens that helps you or helps well, encourage something. it helps
1: the uterus contract. So breastfeeding stimulates the release of oxytocin, which contracts the, the uterus, so it sh- shrinks back down to normal. Um, but the main reason that it could help, with losing weight is that it uses energy. So, you know, you're you're burning an additional five hundred calories per day just feeding your baby. So instead like of forcing
0: yourself to go back to the gym quickly, like just breastfeed more and you'll get yes. to be closer with your baby and basically get to do the same thing without like sweating and being at a smelly gym. <laughs> yes. Take your time, take your time getting getting back to the gym especially. You gotta heal up that
1: pelvic floor that just went through Pregnancy and birth, right? So take it easy with the exercise for a while. Take it easy with getting obsessed about weight loss and, and carbs. I think later on, once your milk supply is established... I think women can go back to eating, you know, a little bit lower carb and feel fine, but it's pretty variable what level is going to work for one woman to another. And just if if anything, if you are going to attempt to go low carb, really make sure you're eating enough because do not go on like a low calorie, any kind Mm. of plan, whether that's low carb or, or not low carb, because you need that energy for your milk. And like you said, you absolutely need the fat
0: too, big yeah, time. Yeah, it's a game changer for so many of my girlfriends. It's like just here's some coconut butter. Here's how to make like a really high fat smoothie. Enjoy. Um, what was kind of your go to high fat thing that you liked when you when you first started breastfeeding? Because like, you have no time, you're exhausted. What was kind of your yeah. go to thing?
1: Oh, gosh, breakfast was like, I remember my husband made me breakfast. And I like laughed it was like two days postpartum he like makes me breakfast and brings it to me and it was like a a breakfast that I would have eaten during pregnancy and I I just laughed I was like I'm gonna need triple the amount of food (laughs) thank you very much just for future reference Uh, I felt like the first month I was just like pounding the food I did lots of eggs bacon avocado lots of vegetables uh, roasted in like coconut oil or or bacon fat or whatever. I did personally, I felt better eating a little more fruit, which sounds funny. But like smoothies were really easy. So Mm -hmm. like some frozen berries. And for me, like half a banana, coconut milk, collagen powder. Uh, I just like I went pretty hardcore on on fatty foods and just like eating a lot of food. Meatloaf was delicious to me. We put ground liver in our meatloaf to really up the the nutrient density, the vitamins, because you need a lot more nutrients when you're breastfeeding, even more than pregnancy. And a lot of people don't know this. So lots of choline, which is good for baby's brain development and in liver and egg yolks. So I did a lot of those foods as well. And just whatever it is, just eat. Just, <laughs> just eat. eat. <laughs> and ideally have somebody help prep the food. We had some friends that brought us meals and stuff because you're likely not gonna have more than five minutes to yourself for several months and you need help. You need help cooking, you need help cleaning, you need help with people bringing you food and water while you're sitting there and nursing the baby you know so whatever help you can get
0: (laughs) take Take it take (laughs) it take it yes please well thank you so much for being on the show today lily i really enjoyed chatting with you i know that i learned a whole bunch and i know that your message will hit home for a lot of women either looking to be pregnant or pregnant right now or breastfeeding so i really appreciate you being on the show today Thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful. You bet. The show notes and full transcript for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash 21. And that does it for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Thanks for listening in. You can follow me on Instagram by searching healthfulpursuit, where you'll find daily keto eats and other fun things. And check out all of my keto supportive programs, bundles, guides, and other cool things over at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash shop, and I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.